Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, have a big win against Antioch High School. It's the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, guys? I, I'm finally glad to, to, you know, come back and say, hey, I got a, I picked up a huge win this weekend. The kids needed it more than more than ever. It was uh, it was great to snap a four game losing streak and uh, feel good about coming into uh, our next game against Overton High School. The Overton, uh, I don't even know what their mascot is to be honest with you, but we got a big one, and uh, hopefully we can creep up towards 500 and get a better playoff seed. But uh, nonetheless, excited to be here after an insane week of college football. Got a lot to talk about, action-packed show. I'm ready to rock and roll. Definitely, definitely an insane weekend. Um, but joining us to talk about that, as always, in the Second City, a man who is not afraid to force his father to eat sushi, Josh Cook. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the parents came in for this weekend. Uh, obviously, Iowa played at Northwestern, which is Chicago's Big Ten team. But uh, it was a good weekend. Saw the folks, saw some good football. Um, there was kind of an exciting game in, in Ann Arbor that um, I don't know if we have time on the show we might talk about. Yeah, we might have to get into that. Um, we might. I, I think that it might warrant at least a little bit of discussion. But uh, like the coach said, uh, you know, crazy weekend this game. A lot of great games. And so uh, we've got a lot to get to later with our, our play action, and we will talk about uh, that, you know, the crazy Spartan-Wolverine matchup. But first, as always, it's time for quick slants. Um, and so, Josh, we're going to throw you up first, and uh, what you got for us? Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that Iowa game and uh, another team that their Iowa was kind of married to that are helping each other out. Um, so, obviously, the Iowa beat down Northwestern is a it's a great game if you're an Iowa fan. Uh, Northwestern was celebrating the <clears throat> 20th anniversary of their '95 Rose Bowl team that went eight zero in Big Ten play. Uh, Gary Barnett was on hand, and um, Iowa raced out to a 16-0 lead, and then Northwestern showed some resolve, manufactured some points, had a nice takeaway, and, and cut it to 10-6, to 16, excuse me. And uh, going to that halftime, uh, I think a lot of Iowa fans were going, uh-oh, it's, it's going to be business as usual because um, Pat Fitzgerald has a lot of history against Iowa and has really made this his personal – uh, rivalry almost, and I think Northwestern players have really bought in, and so have the fans. And uh, for Northwestern, it's become almost as big as the Illinois game, um, which is surprising. And Iowa, for whatever reason, just uh, they have struggled. They've struggled against this team, and um, they got a nice win against them last year in Kinnick, but this one really kind of validated it because they've had – some nightmare performances in Abbotsford. So this uh, this got a lot of – felt pretty good. Got a monkey off their back. And the team that they've kind of been married to is – you know, people have been ragging on Iowa's strength of schedule. I know it's it's not too hot, but very quietly, Pitt Panthers, they've gone undefeated since Iowa beat them. They're now in the AP poll. They're 5-1, and and they are leading – 
their coastal division. They're 3-0. and Duke and North Carolina are right there at 2-0. and um, But Pitt Panthers helping Iowa out. And Iowa, on the other hand, helping Pitt out because Pitt only lost that game by a field goal on the road. So I, I think uh, both teams are a little under the radar still. Iowa less so than Pitt. But both teams are uh, creeping up the standings and national rankings. Well, two things about that whole situation, uh, starting with Pitt, uh, since we're not going to get a chance to talk about them at all. But a fabulous, tremendous job done by Pat Narduzzi in his first year as head coach, uh, really just turning that program around and getting them back to, uh, you know, to their early 80s form where they're actually nationally relevant and went in, you know, in contention for different titles. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope that they uh, – I want to see them in the ACC championship matched up against Clemson. Uh, I think that'll be a fun matchup. Pat Narduzzi, uh, tremendous job by him. Uh, And the same with Kirk Ferentz at at Iowa. And, uh, you know, I'm really impressed by what they're doing. I thought they were a defensive power rushing team, you know, a team that's just going to slugfest you for for 60 minutes and really just grind the game down and, and, and force you to go to their tempo. But, you know, they, they proved something to me that they can that they can light up the scoreboard. They can put it on you in a hurry, and and they're a team to be reckoned with. They're they're creeping towards that top ten right now, and and they're you know, I really like the direction that, that they're going, and I think they can you know they can compete here in the Big Ten. Oh, they definitely. Yeah, can, I mean, they can definitely compete in the Big Ten. I mean, they've already um, jumped over their biggest hurdle of the year, probably in Wisconsin, right, Josh? Yeah, um, that game and the road trip to Nebraska were definitely the kind of the litmus test games. And then Northwestern to a lesser extent just because they've had such a hard time with them. But, um, you know, people are saying they're just going to walk through their schedule. I, You know, being a cautious fan, I, I would warn you, Indiana could score points in a hurry. Uh, Minnesota gave TCU a run. And Nebraska is a few plays away from being undefeated themselves. I mean, they, they've had some tight games. So um, while on paper it looks easy, uh, n- nothing comes easy at football. We all know that. And, I mean, it, it, I mean Minnesota has been taking a nosedive lately, though. Yeah, but, that, you know, that's a huge rivalry. That'll, uh, that's one of those games that you throw the record book out. It, it certainly helps that it's in Kinnick, and I will be uh, heading back to that game as well. So, uh, hey, I'm undefeated when I attend the games this year. <laughs> Any Anytime there's a trophy involved in a lot of those Big Ten rivalry games, there is a trophy involved, some sort of trophy. And I, I think that that's one of my favorite things about the Big Ten is that, is that a lot of the rivalries involve trophies and, and random things like an old oaken bucket or Paul Bunyan's axe and things like that. You know, I, I think it's really cool. It adds, a, you know, a different element to the rivalry. Um yeah, but I mean, you know, they're, they're no slouch. And Nebraska had a chance to fold up shop and, against Wisconsin, and they did not. Uh, you know, Indiana has, has played everybody tough. Their record probably doesn't show that that they're as good as uh, you know that they're as good as they are. But they play hard. They do some things right, and they can they can score on you pretty quick. And, and you know, all you got to do is just ask Ohio State what they can do to you if you don't take them seriously. Now, if you take them seriously in game plan against them, you're probably going to out talent them. But uh, when you don't, you just kind of treat it as, oh, well, we got Indiana this week. You know, it should be a, should be easy trip to Bloomington. That's definitely definitely not the case. But, you know, I'm not worried that, that you know, Kirk Ferentz can get this team ready to play because, you know, um, a little-known fact for those of you who are new to the Illegal Motion podcast, that Kirk Ferentz was uh, 
actually on Bill Belichick's class, uh, staff in Cleveland. He was the offensive line coach. So he does have a little bit of Bill Belichick in him. Um, he does know how to get his team ready to play somehow. And, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes when it seems very unlikely, it happens. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of what they're doing up there in, in Iowa, and I'm, I'm really happy for them. Well, you're seeing it again. The, the offensive line just – you know, dominated, dominated Northwestern. There, there's a reason why the third-string running back had over 200 yards in that game. Uh, he's really fast. He got in Ference's doghouse by having a fumble issue last year and coming into this game, he had eight carries on the season, and I believe he had two fumbles and eight carries. So, um, you know, Ference had him third on the depth chart for a reason. I think most fans felt that he had the biggest big play potential if he just got over – the bugaboo of ball security, and, and he certainly did that against Northwestern. So it's it's exciting to uh, to see if Wadley can continue this. But yeah, I mean, Ferris being an NFL caliber offensive line coach and sending a lot a lot of talent to the NFL from the O line, that's kind of uh, one thing we always expect. Sometimes we don't have the greatest rushing numbers because of a combination of things, but it seems like. The running game is usually above average, and when we have a decent quarterback, they get time to, to throw the ball, and things are coming together nicely. But, you know, I've told some friends we held Northwestern to 2.9 yards per play yesterday. If you do that, it's like dumb and dumber. You're, you've got a chance. You're telling me there's a chance if the defense is that good. Oh, yeah. And defense wins championships, that's for sure. Definitely does. Well, Coach, uh, what, you, what do you got for your first quick slant? Well, I, I want to talk about uh, that 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 uh, shootout in Athens that took place. Uh, for oh, those man. the scoreboard op, could, you know, you know, didn't have time to stop and take a drink of water, did he? No, he didn't. He barely had time to, to, to take a breath. Um, you know, it was nine to six. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, to, to say to use the word offensively challenged, I, I think would would be uh, shortchanging it. It was probably, and, and, and I, I don't know, the defenses may have had a little bit to do with it. You know, Missouri has a good defense led by Kentrell Brothers. But uh, to say that these two offenses were offensively, or these two teams were offensively challenged would be shortchanging it because this was probably the most pitiful display of offense I've ever seen. Uh, Grayson Lambert, uh, Drew Locke, Neither of them could get anything going. Uh, didn't look like they could get really get past their first read. When the first read went down, you didn't know where the ball was going. There was one play, I think, that epitomizes it, and, and, and I know it's kind of one of those breakdowns uh, in communication, but it just appear, it just looks a lot – and it's one of those plays that looks a lot worse than it probably actually is. But there was, a, there was actually a play where Grayson Lambert uh, – it, it was supposed to be a quick fade – uh, or actually Grayson Lambert probably thought it was a quick fade and, and the receiver thought it was a quick out. And they were going to double cover the fade. The the two defensive backs were going to double cover double cover the fade. And it looks like Grayson Lambert just threw one up to him. <laughs> he said, all right, go get it. And they, they actually dropped the interception. Um, they were, I guess they were in such disbelief that he actually threw it to him that, uh, you know, I don't know. But uh, – I. So, you know, something's not right in Athens. Uh, I think there's a bigger story here as far as what's going on in Athens. Um, and also, 
Uh, I think once Matty Mock gets back from Missouri, they'll see a slight uptick in, in their offensive production. But uh, don't look for anything drastic there either. Um, but, uh, I mean, Georgia kept themselves alive. I guess that's the good news. The bad news is, uh, or the actually continued good news is they, they have a bye week coming up. Uh, then they then they take on the, the Florida Gators in Jacksonville um, in a game that many Georgia fans are, are going to just go ahead and say it's it's going to be a blowout. Um, but you never know. You got to play the game. You know, you still got to line up and suit up. So we'll see what happens. Uh, some some huge concerns in Athens. Can't find a quarterback. Uh, Sony Michelle was as good as advertised. Um, but uh, the overall offensive production was just abysmal. And that's really all I'm going to say. Um, about this game um, as there's not really much else exciting about it to be honest with you I, I can't I can't polish this one any more than, than than it can you know than it is but uh you know that was my first quick slant I just wanted to make that a very quick slant some, some concerns going on there uh potential coaching change that we might be discussing in, at, at a later date um uh, on this podcast but that's that's for a different time different place different different podcasts so I'll leave it at that. And uh, Matt, what's your quick? What's your first quick slant? Well, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you can probably guess what I'm going to be talking about in my first quick slant. That's right. It's the American Athletic Conference. Who would have guessed? They now have three. AAC. The AAC has three schools in the AP Top 25. Same number as the Pac-12, which, if you remember, at the beginning of the year, some people were talking about the Pac-12 overtaking the SEC as the best conference in football. Well, they have three undefeated teams all in the, all in the AP Top 25. Uh, that would be Houston, Temple, and Memphis. We're going to get to the big Memphis game, uh, their big win over the Rebels of Ole Miss a little bit later. But uh, I want to, you know, look around the rest of the conference real quick and uh, just kind of go over what happened this weekend. Um, it started with a bang on Friday night with Houston absolutely rolling Tulane 42-7 to behind the, uh, who I think um, it should be uh, a guy should be warning some Heisman discussion. That is Houston's quarterback, Greg Ward Jr. He had another game, 300 total yards and four touchdowns in New Orleans. And he is looking like... You know, he could be, you know, one of the top dual-threat quarterbacks in the country. Obviously, um, in his own conference, Paxton Lynch, uh, Keenan Reynolds also warrants some consideration as best QB in the conference. But I've been so impressed with what Ward is doing this year under first-year head coach Tom Herman, who is obviously going to be a name uh, that we're going to watch for uh, future coaching jobs as they come open. Um, but, uh, like I said, the biggest w- game of the weekend was Memphis's huge upset over Ole Miss, which we'll be getting to a little bit later. Um, but elsewhere in the conference, East Carolina held on to beat Tulsa. Uh, the Purple Pirates built up a 23 to nothing lead through three quarters, but Tulsa came roaring back, scoring 17 in the fourth quarter to make it close before, the, before ECU pulled away at the end. Uh, one of the big plays of the game was on the first drive, actually, uh, uh, Tulsa was driving um, and – uh, East Carolina cornerback Josh, Hawk, uh, Josh Hawkins had a huge interception uh, returning in 100 yards to the house. And that sort of set the tone. East Carolina's defense um, held a really high-scoring, high-powered Tulsa attack in check uh, all game. And that was really impressive to see. So, um, you know, Josh, I know you're a big fan of the, of the Purple Pirates coach. We all are. Um, yeah, yeah, rough it. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, and, and, you know, he's, you know, he's making that team look real good as well. Um, elsewhere, Cincinnati, unfortunately, couldn't hold on to beat BYU as they let the Cougars score 21 points in the final frame to win 38-24. Uh, the best game of the weekend, though, actually was between South Florida and UConn, two of the middle-tier teams in this conference. Um, you, uh, you know, uh, South Florida ended up winning because their quarterback, uh, Quentin Flowers, uh, had three total touchdowns and really controlled the game um, for the Bulls. Uh, finally, Temple absolutely dominated Central Florida um, late to win 30-16 to behind uh, running back Jihad Thomas, who had a career day with 199 yards and uh, three touchdowns in Philly. So, um, you know, the American Conference is just – you know, they're, they're having a banner year. And I really hope that, you know, that, you know, one of these teams will definitely step up and win the conference and probably make it to a New Year's Six Bowl game, quite frankly. Um, you know, assuming I, you know, my money right now would be on Houston, but really you cannot, um, you know, I don't think you can count out Memphis or Temple at, at the moment. Temple's defense has been, you know, great all season. So um, you guys have any, you know, quick thoughts on the American before we get to Josh's second quick slant? Well, well uh, ahead, not, you know, this is going to be another shameless plug for my blog, but um, I always do my own top 25 because I think the AP is full of it sometimes. Uh, but, Josh, uh, uh, Josh, remind the listeners the name of your blog? Uh, Big Ten and Counting. All right. The blog. Yeah. Uh, it's Big Ten focused, but I, uh, I do my own top 25 because I think the AP is full of it sometimes. And I've had Temple, Memphis, and Houston and my poll for the last three weeks. So all the AP writers, uh, welcome to the party for those of us who actually watch football all weekend. Every Saturday. Yeah. I mean, my, 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 my lone thought is, you know, for those, for those teams looking at coaching changes, you know, USC, South Carolina, um, many more probably at the end of the season. Uh, I, I think they need to take a look at none other than, uh, a couple of the, the candidates in the AAC, I think, you know, you, you like, you know, you have Justin Fuentes at Memphis, who we'll talk about here in just a little bit. Uh, you have Tom Herman. You have Ruffin McNeil. All deserve a shot at some big-time programs if they choose to leave. Um, you know, all, all three, I, I think, are viable candidates and will be successful no matter where they go. Um, three guys that, that I would most definitely, if I was an AD, give a look at. Um, to lead my program. Definitely. All right, Josh, what you got for your second one? Well, um, you know, we did our um, Midway Point show recently, and uh, I did a, I thought I did a pretty good job of breaking down the Mountain West, and lo and behold, week seven threw basically everything I said into disarray. Uh, things went kooky Friday night to begin with when eight turnovers, seven of them in the first half, doomed Boise State as they got rolled at Utah State 52-26. Things kept going weird. Uh, Both Nevada schools, which I thought had chance to make some noise, lost. Air Force, who was previously undefeated in the conference, lost. So the standings are a little goofy now. Uh, Utah State, 3-0 in conference, with Boise, New Mexico, and Air Force nipping at their heels, all of them are two and one. So the Mountain Division is up for really anyone because Utah State has so many injuries. You would imagine that they couldn't run the table in the conference, although 
hey, you know what? Notre Dame's finding ways to keep winning, so maybe the Aggies will too. Uh, the Mountain West, West Division, I thought SDSU would win it if they took care of San Jose State. They did. So the Aztecs are sitting there at 3-0. and Now the question becomes, does Rocky Long's team in San Diego State host the Mountain West title game, or do they get tripped up in the coming weeks? Uh, craziness out there with Boise not just losing, but like I said, getting dismantled. Well, you know, hats off to the fighting Bobos. Mike Bobo got back on track here at Colorado State first. Yeah, that was really nice to see. But uh, it, it, it'll be, you know, I'm going to keep my eye on this conference now um, more so than I have before um, just because of the situation and how it's playing out. Uh, this this conference situation or this conference title situation is going to be a fun one to keep an eye on because now there's so much uncertainty. And now it appears that all of a sudden there's there's a whole lot of parity coming up in this league. And and, and any any football fan – and I think that's why the NFL is so popular right now is because that there is a lot of parity. Yeah. And, and, and you yeah. like to see that and you like to see teams that can compete with each other and, and any team can beat any team on any given Sunday. And I think that's starting to prove true, at least in this conference, um, that any given Saturday that any one of these teams can, can, uh, can sneak up and, and, and whip your behind. So, um, you know, hats off to the teams that, you know, found a way to turn around and win, uh, you know, for the other teams that that need to find a way to kind of fix what what their what their problems are, you know, they just need to find a way and fix it, and I'm sure they will. And it'll be an interesting finish uh, to to the uh, to this home stretch of the season. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I thought it was really nice to see Colorado State and the Fighting Bobos get uh, get a really big win over Air Force. You know, they've had a couple they've had a couple of close calls this year, especially against Minnesota. And, you know, it was nice of them for them to get off the schneid and get their first conference win under Bobo. And, you know, I have a very soft spot for the Rams. So, you know, I, I always I always root for them, um, if not, you know, openly, at least, uh, you know, uh, quietly on my own. So, uh, Coach. Yeah. Well, well uh, one other game from that conference also is Wyoming got their first one of the year. And they're coached by Craig Bull, who uh, won a ton of games at a little program called North Dakota State. Um he was the architect of that dynasty that won three national titles in a row. Um, he's got a lot of ties to the Nebraska program, and when he didn't get a look at all by the Huskers when they were replacing Bo Pelini, um, there's been a little bit of rumors that maybe the reason he took the Wyoming job was because he couldn't get the Nebraska job, and he's kind of hoping Mike Riley fails. And if he has FBS experience that Nebraska will give him a look a second time around. Definitely. Definitely. All right, coach, what you got for your second slam? Well, uh, another team that kind of had an embarrassing loss last weekend uh, and, and needed to find a way to respond and come back this week was the Oklahoma Sooners. And uh, well, I, I think they kind of quieted some critics down. I think, you know, some people were starting to say after they lost to Texas, a Texas team that was trying to find a way to replace uh, Charlie Strong. I was going to say Mac Brown, uh, a team that was trying to replace Charlie Strong, and just finding any possible way they could fire him, and and just praying that the Red River Shootout was going to be the Red River Blowout. Well, it wasn't. Texas won that game, and now Oklahoma fans are like, "Well, it's the same old thing from Big Game Bob. 
He's going to choke in the big ones. Here we go. And they had to answer those questions all week. And, 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 and I knew they were too talented of a team uh, for that. And, and well, they, they showed it this weekend. You know, they, they came out victorious over Kansas State. And when I say they came out victorious, they, they you know, it was a nail biter. It was very close. It was, you know, one of those back and forth games. It was 55 to nothing. Um, it, it, I mean, it's just one of those games where you look at the score and like, whoa, where did that come from? Um, but Baker Mayfield, 20 of 27, 282 yards, five touchdowns. So, you know, you look at the yardage, and it's not gaudy yardage, but you look at the touchdown production, and the guy's just on it. The guy's just on point. And, uh, you know, you like to see that out of your out of your quarterback. You know, he, he leads the team, and, and he, he's in there fighting and, and, and everything. So, uh, also, uh, Mixon was your leading rusher at 15 carries, 73 yards, and a touchdown. Um, you know, doing it for the Sooners. Defense was was obviously strong here. And, and Kansas State, you know, where do they go from here, guys? And, and you know, a, another blowout on, you know, another blowout for them. You know, where do they turn to? It Have they lost kind of the luster they started the season with? I mean, what, what's going on with them? So you have to look at that. And I just wanted to bring that up very quickly because when you're looking at ways to respond, that's how you do it. That's how you respond. That's how you come out and really prove yourself, you know, after taking a loss like they did. And, you know, Bob Stoops, you know, he's getting paid the big bucks for a reason. You know, he knows how to do this. He knows how to, he knows how to respond he knows how to he knows how to coach when his back's against the wall. Very impressive win for the Sooners. Just wanted to throw that out there. You know, just wanted to give him a shout out and a shout out to the Oklahoma Sooner program. Uh, very impressive win, uh, nonetheless. Fifty-five to nothing. Kansas State is is not some slappy team that you know that just you know plays soft soft Big Twelve football. They are, you know. They are where it's at. I mean, they're they're a good program. They're a good, solid program. And for them to take a beating like this, I think that's more of a credit to to Oklahoma personally. And 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 for for a game like this, I don't have to read off a whole bunch of stats just to let you know, um, you know how impressive this victory was. Just kind of talk about briefly what uh, Mayfield did, and and just kind of talk about where this program stands. And and you know, they still have a shot. They still have an outside shot. They they get a couple upsets here and there. You know, I think they can. You know see themselves but uh you know this 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 conference and 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 i don't know if we'll we're not going to get to this here just a little bit but um this conference is 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 has two teams it's 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 upper tier heavy with uh baylor and tcu so a very impressive win for the sooners nonetheless and uh look forward to seeing what they do coming up here soon i think it'll be you know i think it'll be i think you're in for a treat yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, for my final, uh, my final quick stand, I'm going to look at the Pac-12. Obviously, we're going to we're going to get to a couple of the bigger games. The uh, Stanford's dominant performance over my Bruins and uh, USC's valiant effort against uh, Notre Dame after a week in crisis. But I wanted to get a, to a couple of the other uh, not as notable games because I thought a couple of interesting ha- things happened this weekend. Uh, Utah needed 20 points in the fourth quarter to come back and beat uh, Arizona State, 34 to 18. Um, and Travis Wilson really picked his game up in the second half. He was for the game had 
297 yards and two touchdowns. And Devontae Booker, another you know, another great game for hashtag year of the running back. Uh, he had 118 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Um, but my most impressive team of the weekend was um, – was Wazoo. Um, you know, obviously it was only playing Oregon State, who's probably the worst team in the conference, but they're quietly becoming one of the better teams in the North. Uh, and, you know, they beat Oregon State 52-31 behind quarterback Luke Fall. He was an absolute animal, especially in the first half. Finished the game 39 for 50, 407 yards, and six touchdowns. Obviously, you know, um, he is – it's the Pirates offense, so they are, you know – fun and gun, not even fun and gun, just gun and gun as far as I'm concerned. They're just throwing the ball all over the place. And Falk is, you know, really looks like he has control of this offense now. And uh, that's really nice to see. You know, we all have a, have a soft spot for Mike Leach and like to see him do well. However, uh, they have a really rough stretch coming up in front of them. They're on the uh, they're on the road at Arizona next week, followed by Stanford at home, Arizona State at home, and then at UCLA. Um, but if they can go two and two in this stretch, you know they'll have a chance to get into a decent bowl game because I imagine they'll they should win their final two games of the year um, uh, playing Colorado and then obviously the Apple Cup. Um, but you know who would have known after that loss first week to Portland State that they, this team would be you know competitive um, in the North Division. Um, elsewhere in the conference, Arizona need 21 points in the fourth quarter to come back and beat the Buffs in Boulder. A backup tailback, Jared Baker, had a game. Uh, 207 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Added a third receiving touchdown uh, from quarterback Anu Solomon. And But this was one of the strangest games of the weekend. The Wildcats um, ran out real quick, scoring 17 points in the first quarter. And then they went you know, radio silent for the next two quarters, putting up two goose eggs before scoring three touchdowns late uh, to pull off the victory in Boulder. Uh, finally, Oregon won Vernon Adams' return uh, in Seattle against the Huskies, 26-20. Uh, to 20. It wasn't the prettiest win, but it was nice for the Ducks to get back on the winning track after two straight blowout losses at home. So, you know, in the, in the Pac-12, obviously, Stanford is the class of this, um, uh, of, of this conference. But I think we're starting to see the middle tier bubble up um, a, a little bit here with, um, you know, Arizona getting back on track, Wazoo coming out of the woodwork. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how this conference, um, you know, turns out by the end of the year. But after Stanford, it's getting, you know, it's getting really interesting in the middle of the pack. So, um, well, I think that was uh, Washington State's first time having back-to-back conference wins, I want to say, since 2006. Yeah, that is correct. Um, so, you know, Leach looked like he might be in the hot seat a little bit earlier this season, but I think he's at the, the, the team is definitely playing their way out of it there. So, well, it's time to get our, to our play action where we go a little bit deeper into the biggest games of the weekend, and there's no place better to start than uh, at the big house where, oh, my goodness, was that a – that was one of the strangest ways to end a game that I can, that I can remember. But, Josh, I remember that you uh, – Something you mentioned uh, to us before the show was that this reminded you of a uh, Wisconsin win over Minnesota about 10 years ago. Yeah, that's a, I was watching the game in, in a hotel in Evanston with my parents. We ran from the stadium to, uh, to the hotel to watch this game get underway and had some beers, had some tailgate food. And, uh, yeah, we thought it was done basically like everyone else did um, when Michigan State on that failed on that fourth and 19 they had one timeout. i i did the mental math i told my dad i was like hey i think michigan's gonna probably punt the ball with you know 
somewhere around 15 seconds left, give or take a few. Obviously, it was at 10, and I was like, with that much time, hang time in the air, I was like, Michigan State's either going to have one play or they're going to need to make a play. And he agreed, and we watched Michigan go three and out, and sure enough, they were lining up to punt with 10 seconds. And the last thing I said before the snap, I said, hey, I remember a Wisconsin game against Minnesota where they – they blocked a punt in the end zone and scooped and scored to win. And uh, it wasn't quite the same way. It was even crazier than that. But um, my first t- takeaway was Connor Cook played an absolute gem. 328 yards. He he was the entire offense. He and Burbridge were absolutely incredible. I think the better team won because Michigan was getting by with a lot of field goals and winning the field possession game. And that's a risky way to win a game against a talented team. Um, Obviously it was still a lot of luck involved, but um, I do feel like the better team won. And my second takeaway was um, taking out hail Marys because those are graded on their own scale and taking out like just crazy meltdowns like the 1980 Holiday Bowl with SMU giving up a million points to BYU in like 10 seconds. I have this compared with the play from the 1982 big game, also known as the Bandits on the Field, and the kick six. Uh, Those are the three craziest finishes. I'm going to give the edge to this one because the big game, we've seen other plays with a lot of laterals. It's still really impressive, but – we see it every now and then. There was a bowl game just last year that had a million laterals and the game. And the uh, Auburn play was great, but I got to say it was a bit of a hubris on Nick Saban's part thinking they could make a 60-yard field goal. And I think if Saban had not had momentary insanity, he would have just knelt down and gone to overtime. This was the only one that was just like that was their only option was doing something insane in special teams, and it worked out. Yeah, I mean, you know, a couple of takeaways I have from this game. Um, First and foremost, as a coach, you love, love, love to see the importance of special teams because especially as a high school coach, these kids are like, eh, special teams. Maybe I can take my break here, you know. But with 10 seconds to go, you're Michigan, you're winning the game, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. All we got to do is execute this simple little punt, you know, snap, catch, kick, and it doesn't even have to be a booming kick. It just get my foot on it and just have them not block it and we'll be okay. And, you know, I think all Michigan fans are like, okay, whew, escaped a big one here. Whew. You know, the, the Michigan State was a better team here. We escaped with a good win. And then, oh, no, bad snap punter tries to make a play you know all he has to do is fall on it uh feel bad for the kid really um he was just doing what he felt was right he was doing what he thought was going to be the best thing to do but ended up not being the best thing to do and uh ended up costing him the game and you know you feel bad for the kid but you know on the same token you just got to be smart you know, you got to be smart, and, 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 and I really like it because you can't take special teams for granted because it can make the difference, and people who say it doesn't are absolutely full of it. And I'll, I'll point to this game for that. I'll point to uh, the kick six, and I'll point to the band is on the field. You know, yeah. all, those, all those things, you know, prove 
that special teams is of utmost importance and should be at least taken more seriously than offense and defense. You know, well, uh, because you're because you're not on the, because it's you know you're so, you're on there for such a low percentage of the time, you know it should be treated, you know, in the sense that it can make the difference in the game, you know, and and you really not even you know realize it, but it should be taken, it should be handled with the utmost importance. Well, let's uh, let's put some blame also on Harbaugh. I mean, I've been harping on these conservative coaches. They ran it three times on that last possession and third and three they gave it to Davion Smith he only ran one yard he averaged 2.4 for the game Sparty knew where it was going they stopped it and you know you either trust your quarterback or you don't you put the game in his hands or you don't um the one interesting thing that I wanted to ask you coach is uh, uh my dad played football at a really really small high school and a really really small college so um He's got the playing experience, but he's never coached it. And what he thought they should do since the ball was at the 47 and Michigan State's kicking game really hadn't been that good, he said, why not just do a direct snap to the running back and have him run around a little bit and then fall down? How about this? How about you just get in the shotgun and have your quarterback quick snap punt it? Well, you know, just take a regular shotgun snap. I've seen that before. Yeah, I've seen Josh, that a lot. Actually. Josh, you're a big fan of the quick kick, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just quick kick it real quick, or yeah, just run around. And you know, I I, I don't want to put all the blame on the punter here either. That was a bad snap, and not just because it was low, but if you look at the velocity of that snap, that was a slow, low snap, and that makes a big difference. I mean, that half second, um, you know, because I, I think one of the reasons that he tried to do that crazy kick is because it, it got to him so slowly that he didn't have time to really grab it, gather, and kick. Um, yeah. And so, because they were on him right now, because they were selling out to bring the house. And also, Josh, the, uh, I think part of the reason for that is Michigan does your least favorite pun formation when everyone is spread out, right? Yeah, uh, you know, I've. It feels like any time you want to block a punt, when teams are doing that three-player back little max protect type thing, I, I'm convinced that if you rush everyone you've got a great chance at, at blocking it because you're willingly allowing players to have a free rush to within about three yards of your punter. It's like, I don't get that. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I've always been a big fan of it. You go tight punt there. If you, I mean, you know, well, I mean, there's, 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 block it, you scheme it, you, you have yeah. a tight punt package um, because we, we do that. We, we have the, they're called elephants. We have, we have three elephants and our, our splits are three yards apart on the line. We have, you know, we have our long snapper, guards, and tackles, and then we have our gunners on the outside. And, you know, we uh, we block the inside gaps. We make sure no one penetrates the inside gaps. We leave the widest, most person available because the, the likelihood of them getting there if we have a good snap and good, you know, good punt is, is not very likely. So we take our chances. Yes, there, there's a lot of risk, but, you know, it, it allows you to have a max cover, which is more important than – you know, or if, if, you get a good snap, if you can get a good snap and, and get a good punt, you know, the protection, you really don't need to sit there and protect for a long time. I mean, it, it, at one school I was at, we didn't even stay in and block. We just ran through the outside shoulder. If you get a piece of – if you have a good snap, all you got to do is get a piece of the, the rusher and, and they're never going to get there no matter what because um, we would just run through the outside shoulder 
and then just uh, go cover. So it gives you your best chance of getting in your cover lanes, and and that's kind of why people do it because it allows them to fan the field easier and then get more coverage um, to to create less of a return. And that's why they do it. Definitely. But it, but it didn't matter if they had a return or not because Michigan State rushed all 11. They didn't oh, yeah, no. In, in that situation, you're, you're yeah. you know, you're, in that situation, you got to go tight punt. You know, there's no question about it. Yeah, you you, you got to go tight punt. You got to go max protect because they're selling out and they're selling out the farm. And then, and when the situation calls for it, yes, absolutely. If you, if you don't, if you're not, if there's no threat of a return, then just cover it and protect. Definitely, definitely. Well, we got to move on from that craziness to another another great game. This time down in LSU, where um, it took a, a fake field goal and a big game from Leonard Fournette, but LSU held off um, held off uh, the Florida Gators, thirty five to twenty eight. And um, you know, uh, Coach, uh, you were really interested to see how Florida would handle their offense without. Uh, Will Greer, and how do you think that they did? I thought they did a tremendous job. I, I thought, you know, scoring the way they did in Baton Rouge, I, I think it, you know, I think they did a, a great job. I think Sean Harris, you know, yeah, he could have been better, but I mean, he was in a tough spot, you know, he, 17 of 32, 271, and two touchdowns. But, you know, you have, uh, it was tough sledding for the most part, but, uh, you know, I think they found a way to get in the end zone. It wasn't pretty, and, and it wasn't going to be pretty. But they, they found a way to do it, and they found a way to stay in the game. Uh, their defense is, is really just kind of what stepped up and, and helped them out a lot and gave them chances and gave them opportunities. But, you know, in, in, in the end, I, I think, you know, you just saw how limited they were with Treon Harris and, and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I thought they'd struggle. Um, they did ultimately. It was ugly. They found a way to stay in it uh, just because they have a, tr- uh, a phenomenal defense. But, um I don't know. We'll, we'll see what they have, you know, in the in the coming weeks. I don't know if this is just like a, a, a rally point for this team. Um, that'll be the question that has to be answered as the season unfolds, especially as they come down the stretch when they, especially when they have to take on Florida State at the end of the year. You know, maybe they have a chance to remain in the top ten. Who knows? But uh, they have to figure out something offensively. They have to get something going um, so that they can survive here in, in the coming weeks. Yeah. yeah is, it, it, is it fair to say that neither of these teams <laughs> looked deserving of their ranking? Like, is that is that a cop out for me to say? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, on these teams are are so fast and so physical, and they and they play such dominating style of football. I mean, they still found ways to score, um, but I, I think it was you know when you look at a defensive battle. You know, the score doesn't really say it, but, you know, I, I think it, you know, I think the score was indicative of the defense giving their, giving their offense chances. And, and, and that's what you look for in, in a game. You want your defense to set you up. And that's exactly what happened. Um, yeah. And then, of course, LSU used special teams to get, to get on the board as well. They used a fake field goal, which, you know, something that Les Miles loves to do. Mad Hatter. Uh, the Mad Hatter. He loves that little flip play. I'm, I'm surprised Florida didn't see it coming, to be honest. But, um, you know, when, when you look at defenses, when you evaluate defenses, uh, it's not just scoreboard. It's not just the fact that they gave up 28 points or 35 points. It's the fact that, you know, you have a struggling offense and, and, 
And do you give them chances to score? Do you give them chances to help you out? And, and you got to evaluate it as a whole. Um, are these two teams deserving of their ranking? I, you know, we'll see in, in, in the coming weeks. But I think you saw two great defenses play against each other. And, and I think you saw uh, Leonard Fournette continue to prove that he yeah, is a Heisman candidate. Because I guess for me, I mean, I haven't been very high on Brandon Harris all year. And he had over no, 200 and- passing yards. And Treon Harris, who hasn't played in a month, had almost 300 passing yards. I, I mean, I've been high on Alabama. I've got Alabama as my third-ranked team. I, I don't want to make this a Crimson Tide Podcasts and Lord knows he's at Paul Feinbaum talking about them all the time. But if I'm an Alabama fan, I'm thinking, wow, like LSU's not as good as everyone thought. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I know they're certainly licking their chops, and that'll be a fun game to watch. And and that one will be, you know, we'll, we'll see how they, they game plan for each other. Um, what Alabama's probably going to do, uh, and I don't want to spoil the preview of that game because I'm sure we will talk about it. But you know, I, you know, to, to beat LSU, I think you have to force Brandon Harris to beat you, and I think you got to force them to do that. You got you got to limit what you know, you got to limit what Leonard Fournette does, or try to at least, and and then just try to find a way to create opportunities for Brandon Harris to beat you. And if he beats you, hats off to him. That's your game plan. But if he doesn't, you know, there you go. Uh, so, and, you know, I, I think the only thing that it proved is, you know, yes, these two teams are worthy, but however, you do they, – they did kind of lay out the blueprint on how to beat them. And I, I think if – I think if uh, Will Greer's there, I think it's kind of a different story. I think Florida wins this game if Will Greer's there. I think that kind of made a difference, um, to be honest. So, um you know, when well, he comes he's not going to be there for a year, unfortunately for them. So yeah, when, when he comes back in in a year, you'll see what they got, and and you'll you know another year of recruiting. This team could be very dangerous very soon, but uh, you know, the winner of the LSU Alabama game, you know, and I know I said this in my midseason preview, and 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 things changed when Will Greer went down, uh, got popped for PEDs. Um, I think the winner of the Alabama LSU game is going to uh, is going to win the conference and, and have a chance to play for the national title. Um, I still stand by my uh, West representative prediction. I still think LSU is going to find a way to win that game um, because I think Alabama also showed some chinks in their armor as well. Um, it just happened that Kyle Allen decided he wanted to help them out. Um, so we'll get to that here in a little bit. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, we've got to talk about uh, USC in their first game under Clay Helton, putting up quite a valiant effort. And Notre Dame needed 17 in the fourth to come back from down 31, uh, from down 31-24 to end up winning 41-31. Um, so, Josh, what was it about, you know, Notre Dame looked, you know, they got off to a great start, but what happened in the middle of that game? We saw USC talent not be handcuffed by a coach who, you know, let, if you get rid of all the substance abuse things, Steve Sarkeesian was under so much pressure, I think he started to coach not to lose. And an interim coach, a staff that probably knows they're not going to be there under the next new regime, let their players play and 
throughout all this turmoil, we knew USC had talent. I mean, freshman running back, Roland Jones the third, or Roland Jones uh, Jr. Sorry, sorry, Roland. I gave you an extra Roland. Um, no, he had he, he had a monster day. He had uh, six carries, seventy three yards. That's almost that's over twelve yards a pop. You know, get him the ball more. Justin Davis, another great day. Seven carries, 52 yards. I mean, those are great running backs. We saw Cody Kessler. Yeah, he had the two picks, but, man, 30 of 46, 365, almost eight yards an attempt, two touchdowns. I mean, but let these kids play. Unshackle them. And I think that um, that Washington game was an indication of USC was playing not to lose. Uh, Sark and that coaching staff felt the pressure. They knew they were on the hot seat. And just had too conservative a game plan. They let it fly as major underdogs, almost pulled off the upset. And that's why this was such a competitive game, because USC still has talent. Yeah, they definitely have a lot. I mean, a lot, I mean you look, Juju Smith-Schuster, their best receiver, six catches, 139 yards, and a touchdown. They got the ball to Adore Jackson on a huge 83-yard touchdown uh, through the air. And I, I, I thought, you know, coming into the game, that's what they needed to do in order to pull off the upset was to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. And, and you know, they, they did that through three quarters, but then sort of fell short in the fourth. Um, and I thought it was really impressive um, seeing both C.J. Prosites from – Notre Dame, another great hashtag year of the running back guy. Uh, oh, yeah. He was, he was a beast. 19 carries for 143 yards and two touchdowns. Deshaun Kaiser, nice job managing the game for them. Um, you know, I, you know, and, you know my, my main man on, on the Notre Dame team, Will Fuller, only had three catches, but 131 yards and a touchdown is – Big plays, man, big plays. Big and- plays, and that, that, that's what really broke this USC team at the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, um, you know, just giving up the big plays and, and just kind of not being able to hold on. I think that, you know, that's just kind of the culture of, of how they are this year. I think they're a team that's highly talented, but just can't seem to find a way to, to have that finishing touch. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's just because they feel the pressure, as, as Josh was alluding to earlier. I don't know. There's a lot of factors that go into it uh, when, when you look at it, but you know, certainly a lot better effort than I was expecting. I was expecting just them to kind of sleepwalk this week. It was on the road, lots of distraction. Uh, you didn't know what you were going to get. Um, but I think Clay Helton did a good job of, of at least just giving them that and, and, and keeping them in this ball game and keeping them keeping them relevant. And that, that might give them some confidence here coming up in the future. Uh, you know, as they continue on with their schedule. But you know. Uh, you know, as an interim coach, that's a tough ask to do to, to you know, to come in and beat Notre Dame um, on the road. You know, that's that's a tough thing to do regardless. But, you know, when, when you're when your first week on the job, you know, that's that's a tough thing to ask a, of a guy and a tough thing to expect of a guy. But, you know, Clay Helton, I think, can do it. Uh, just got to, you know, just got to keep his nose down and, you know, just got to keep his head up and keep the guys motivated. And, and that's going to be the key for this US, USC team. And that's going to be the key for his quest if he wants to try to get this head coaching job at USC. Is he going to be able to keep these guys motivated through a tough time? Are they going to fold up the tent and, and, uh, and just quit on the season and, and just take what they take? Or, or are they going to, you know, what, what, what's going to happen? You know, what, what, what's going to happen? And, and that's got to be the question that's got to be answered, you know, for uh, for Clay Helton and, and the USC Trojans. So, uh, you know, very excited with the, what they have. Uh, very excited what they have in front of them. 
um, you know, hopefully that he, he ends up being, you know, a, a great hire for him or, or actually ends up being good for him. Maybe he gets the job. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe they look elsewhere. That'll be something that we take a look at as we go in the future. But a very good game for Notre Dame, uh, a, a game that, that had them that, that forced them to come from behind, something that they needed to do, something they needed to continue to build. That's, that's kind of that toughness that a team builds, that kind of that mental fortitude that a team develops, you know, if they're going to make a championship run because it's not all going to be easy. And you're not always going to be ahead by three or four touchdowns in every game you play. Uh, just like I said about TCU in the midseason preview, um, you know, you've got to win some games like that. You've got to win some hard-fought games when you're the favorite and things aren't going your way. When you have adversity hit you in the face, you've got to find a way to win no matter how ugly it is. So uh, it's good to see that Notre Dame did that. Deshaun Kaiser is, is really just kind of uh, proving himself as a quarterback, um, and he's proving himself as a guy who's not just a, a replacement for uh, Malik Zaire, but a guy that can truly lead this team and, and a guy that they that they thought they were getting when they recruited him. So, you know, as as a staff, you're always excited to see. Um, you're always excited to see when you're recruiting uh, when you when your signees, you know, hit it off. So. Hey, Coach, I had, a, I had a name that I wanted to run by you. Uh, Matt and I were texting back and forth, and the more I thought about that text, Matt, the more I love it. Um, he's on the hot seat in the NFL. USC wants a big name. They had success with Pete Carroll coming from the NFL. What do you think of Sean Payton? Ooh, uh, I would love that hire. I, I don't know how we would do on the recruiting trail, but that would be a tremendous hire, and and – I was thinking if the Titans continue to, to, to be as bad as they are, I was I was thinking about them for, for the Titans. I and mean, I'm not some huge Titan super fan or anything, but, you know, being being that they're the local team, I do support them a little bit and want to see them be successful. Uh, I think he would be a great addition wherever he goes. And I think New Orleans would be foolish for letting him go. Well, do you know what happened? You know what happened on the recruiting trail? He'd just wear that big, fat Super Bowl ring around and be like, listen, That's I true. can here. You know, who else can do that? So how many coaches in college football have won a Super Bowl? You know, yeah, absolutely. I, think, I think it would be two things, actually, Matt, that Super Bowl ring and a uh, map of USD and where it is in connection to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, here, here's a name that I think USC fans would be even more thrilled to get. And that would be uh, Jeff Fisher. I mean, he's uh, he's an alumni of the he's an alum of the school. Uh, he played there. And I think that's that's a name that he's he's kind of you know he's had he's had a lot of success in the NFL, um, but he hasn't quite gotten over the hump. And I think he's a guy that that can do it in college. I think he has a personality to get after it and, and, and to get on the grind that you need to to, to succeed in college. So uh, Jeff Fisher would be another name to look at um, in this coaching search. I think that would be a tremendous hire for for the Trojans as well. Yeah, I think he might be a little. I don't know how, how old is Jeff Fisher. Um, cause I mean, I think he might be a little old to take his first head coaching. He's only 57. I mean, still, when was the last time he coached in college? I, I don't know if, he, I don't, I don't know that he's ever coached in college. Has I, I, I don't think he has. And so that, that's without pulling up his resume, no, I uh, got his resume up in front of me. He's been all, he's only worked in the NFL. He's never worked in college. So, I mean, yeah, he went to USC, played under John Robinson, probably the greatest coach that that school has ever seen. But, you know, uh, does he want to come back? Does he want does he want to come back to college after being in the NFL head coaching ranks for 30 years? I mean, I don't well, know. Well, for enough money, he might. I don't know. 
Um, because that, that'll be an interesting job security be, be there. That'll be an interesting conversation for, I think, a little bit later on in the year. Well, the, the other problem with Jeff Fisher is I can't think of a college coach who's had a mustache since Frank Spaziani. Dave wants that. <laughs> Dave <laughs> wants that. Yeah, he'll, he'll bring it back. How about that? Um, <laughs> and but, neither of them won too much. <laughs> no. Oh, you, never know, you never know with his future with the Rams, by the way, uh, because things aren't going – 100% smooth for the Rams. Their defense is good this year, but we're the college football podcast, not the NFL podcast. So That's true. We, and, and we need to move on uh, to talk about another big SEC game uh, between Alabama uh, winning, you know, uh, winning – pretty handily out in College Station, 41-23. to 23. Uh, Coach, you mentioned Kyle Allen uh, giving Alabama a hand in, in the game, but I think it was, it was Derrick Henry, uh, you know, being a man among boys in this game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he just proved, you know, in front of the nation one more time that, you know, he can't be stopped. Uh, he, he's hashtag year of the running back. Um, you know, I think the unfortunate thing for him is that Leonard Fournette is in college at the same time, and uh, he doesn't get quite the recognition that he deserves. But I mean, that guy—you know—you watch him run. Oh my God, he's—he runs with a purpose. He hits the whole ninety miles an hour, and he'll run you over, run by you, uh, jump over you. Um, he'll do whatever he needs to do to get in the end zone. And that guy—he's—he's a, he's a special player. And uh, you know, I've enjoyed watching him in his college career, um, and and he's been the thing that's really just kept Alabama in that discussion of, you know, I, I think had it not been for him, I think this offense would really be floundering um, because outside of him, this offense really didn't produce a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of people are talking about Kenjin Drake coming into the season. Like, he's been pretty mediocre, I think. He has. Uh, I'm, I mean, he, he's pretty limited in what he can do i mean he's just a he's a speed guy i mean you know of course he can burn when he gets a hole and things like that but i think for for Kenyon drake you know things have to be perfect almost uh for him to really get some big yardage whereas derrick henry can can find a little crease and just get get on through there but you know you, you just saw him you know you know if he gets a little crease and and he's one of those guys and we call him i call him angle busters um he's one of those guys where he can really just, you know, you think you have an angle on him, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's by you, and he's in the end zone and and just scoring. So uh, very, very, very exciting to watch him play, uh, and he's a huge, huge integral part of this Alabama offense and, and, and making it go. Uh, very impressed with what he does. Uh, very concerned about the rest of the offense, though. You know, what can they do? Um are they going to have to rely on their defense? You know, what if Derrick Henry's not having such a great day? I can't imagine that day happening, but, you know, what if? What if there's a defense that game plans perfectly for him and, and forces, forces Alabama to beat, beat him through the air? You know, what are they going to do? You know, who, who's going to lead it for him? Is, is, it going to be, is it going to be Jacob Coker? I don't think he's consistent enough. Is it going to be, uh, you know, who's it going to be? What are they going to do? Are they going to have to rely on their defense to give them chances? You know, certainly that's the case right now. Their defense is giving them plenty of chances. They they picked off Kyle Allen four times. Three of them returned for a touchdown. So yeah, how, yeah. Josh, how about Minka Fitzpatrick? <laughs> He's yeah, fast. Yeah, I mean, I actually 
the game that this kind of reminded me of, honestly, was um, I think it was it was either 2005 or 2006. I can't remember which game it was, but um, Iowa hadn't played Ohio State in a little bit, and the last time they had played, um, so they played in 2000, and then they had several years off natural rotation. Um, Buckeyes got them in 03, and Iowa beat them up in 04. So, um, yeah, I think it was the 06 season then. It was coming back to Kinnick, and Iowa made a big deal about it. It was a primetime game. They, they had the pom-poms out, and I think sometimes your home environment gets too juiced up and you come out tight, and Buckeyes handed it to Iowa pretty well. And I think the same thing might have happened for, for A&M, where – they were so embarrassed last year, 59 nothing. They felt like they were a new team. You know, they were – Allen was playing great up to that point, and uh, they had the 12th man, the sway, and I'm sure they had a midnight bonfire and all that hoopla they do down there in College Station. And I, I think they overthought it and came out tight, and Alabama's the one team that you, you can't do that to. No, absolutely not. And and uh, Kyle Allen especially came out tight. I that one play that last that last pick six he threw um, to Minka Fitzpatrick. It was one of those where he broke contain. He was just scrambling around, running for his life, and he just turned his body, contorted his body, and just flung it towards the middle of the field. Um, and, and I think even the worst of quarterback coaches would say, uh, "No, don't do that." You can never do that. And he just flung it blindly, and Minka Fitzpatrick was there to oblige him and score a touchdown. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those, you know, it's just one of those big game plays where you're just like, eh, that's, that's a, that's a, I can't handle this big pressure moment against Alabama type throws. That's all that was. You know, it's all that was. It was, it was completely, you know, just pressing on his part. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to handle the pressure. Um, and that's part of being a new starter, I guess. And and that's that's part of what Alabama does great, um, the mental aspect of the game. Uh, they can really just put you in an uncomfortable spot and, and, and force you to make the play and, and force the decision on you. And, and a lot of times they can get you in such a pressure situation that they force you into bad decisions, and then that's kind of what they do. That's kind of the mental game they play, and that's kind of what Saban's forte is. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, we need to move on from uh, Alabama to, um, you know, another team who likes to play the same style of football, Stanford Cardinal. Um, they absolutely rolled my US, uh, my UCLA Bruins 56-35. to And, Josh, you tweeted me right after the game saying, McCaffrey for Heisman? He had 369 all-purpose yards in this game. Uh, so you want to uh, explain that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, when we did our original pre-show email meeting, uh, we weren't going to talk about this one. I wanted I wanted to because, first of all, I have Stanford uh, sixth in my vote. So I've got the nine spots ahead of the AP. I love this team. I think the 9 a.m. start at Northwestern is doing two things. First of all, it's adding fuel to fire, and second of all, it's showing why – Teams going out west, coming from the west to these other time zones is never, never easy. And, yeah, Christian McCaffrey, I don't know where you begin other than 
um, blessed with some great football genes. Um, it also helps that he wears bigger shoulder pads than, uh, than his dad, who, uh, man, I think he won a few games, right, as a wide receiver? I think he, he was all right. He was all yeah. right. Yeah, he was decent. Uh, he had a nickname of Easy Ed, so yeah. Um, well, um, Easy Ed wore lacrosse pads and caught touchdowns from John Elway like it was nothing. So, but I mean, McCaffrey just—he's this weird hybrid where he reminds you of some of the powerful backs at times, like Toby um, yeah, like like Toby Gerhardt a few years ago. But he's just so much faster than than Gerhardt ever was. So he just hits that hole a step faster. He runs over you but gets back up to his open field acceleration that much faster. He's just so much of a – just almost like a – he's like a Swiss Army knife for the Stanford team. They can put him anywhere, and he's going to find ways to make yards. And uh, you talk about an excellent – card up your your sleeve i mean uh, i wouldn't want a game plan for him and uh stanford has to be feeling really 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 good about their chances of making the tournament because they're gonna get you know another i know oregon's down but it's still in perception it's still gonna be a nice win and then they'll probably get to play a top five utah team so they're feeling pretty good about themselves no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're a they're a power football coach's dream. Um, the what what they're doing. Um, old McCaffrey, twenty five carries, two hundred forty three yards, four touchdowns. Uh, that's just one of his purpose yards. Uh, Matt, the good news for UCLA is your brother uh, had fourteen carries for one hundred four and a touchdown. Um, that's good. Josh Rosen, twenty two of forty two for three hundred twenty five, three touchdowns and two picks. Yeah, that's not great. Uh, not great at all, um, but not horrible. I mean, threw for a ton of yards, I guess, but, you Only know. Only 50% completion, though. I, I mean, that's, that's – 50% completion, a ton of yards, couple picks. Um, I guess you could say if you lose 56 to 35, none of it's good. Uh, none of it matters. But um, trying to find a silver lining here for the Bruins. Uh, I, I was actually catching a lot of this game um, as we were doing our podcast, as we were wrapping up our podcast last week um, and watched it, you know, kind of as I, as I – um, was getting ready to go to sleep, and and I was just amazed that they did what they did. Uh, you know, they beat UCLA as badly as they did. They, I mean, they just dominated from start to finish. It, it was it was unreal. And uh, you know, you gotta you gotta take a look at it and take a look at and evaluate Stanford as far as their chances of making the tournament. It's going to be a slugfest. Um, if they can hang on and represent their division in the in the Pac-12 championship, and and I, I hope that it's Stanford, Utah, because those are the two most deserving teams at this point, and I think those will be the two most deserving teams from this point forward. And the thing that's so impressive to me, as uh, you know, I try and catch as much Pac-12 football as possible, but you know, sometimes it can be difficult being in the Central Time Zone. But the thing that I love about Stanford is all the junk about, yeah, David Shaw inherited Harbaugh's players. Oh, that was five years ago. These are all his players. He ain't got his players anymore. This is all all him. Yeah, this is all him. Um, And 
it's funny just to contrast it with UCLA. Not that Mora's on the hot seat, and I don't think he should be because that team's had a rash of injuries, but what, what's the identity that Mora has for his team? What do they fall back on when things aren't going their way? It was supposed to be defense. It was supposed to be the defense, but they no, absolutely annihilated on defense. And it was interesting in the post-game interview, he said that they were still a developing team. They were still a developing program. It's like, coach, you've already been to a Pac-12 title game. You've got to be developed. You've got to be – you can't lose these games. You can't have a conference opponent hang half a hundred on you. No, you can't. And, and, and not one that, you know – at one point in this year, was worried because they got spanked by Northwestern. You know, that's another thing. You know, of course, you know teams are allowed to uh, improve and such, but you just gotta, you know, it's almost as if UCLA's regressed a little bit. Yeah, I mean, during the season, I think that UCLA definitely has regressed. Josh Rosen still looks solid. Paul Perkins still solid, but you know, they have. They have nothing around them right now, and they've had a couple guys leave the team, a couple, a bunch of injuries, you know, most notably Miles Jack. But it's, you know, this is not, this was supposed to be, like, this is, you know, this this team had the potential to be a playoff team, and, you know, they've clearly shown that they are just not up for it in, in, in the big game. So, um, you know, we'll see how they finish out the season. Obviously, around here, the only thing that really matters is that they beat SC, um, which, you know, looking at, after watching, you know, UCLA play Stanford and USC play Notre Dame, I think, you know, I think USC is probably going to have a better shot to win that game going into it. But we'll, t- we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tackle that game when it, when it comes around later in November. But as for now, we've got to wrap up our show with uh, the biggest upset of the weekend. And, Josh, you called it um, the Memphis Tigers and Coach Brian Fuentes, uh, you know, coming down from, uh, from you know, losing more than by 14 nothing to Ole Miss um, in, in order to win 37-24. to uh, Josh, what was the, your biggest takeaway from the game? Um, well, first of all, credit to Justin Fuente and his staff for really keeping that team in the game mentally. When when you're at home and you take a punch like that, it's it's really easy to close up shop, especially when everyone except the three of us <laughs> said they had no shot in this game. Um, my biggest takeaway is Ole Miss's offensive line not not up to snuff, and it's that simple. I mean, one point seven yards per carry. That's not enough. Uh, Chad Kelly had a nice day, but you watch some of those plays and he's throwing off the back foot and, you know, just out there praying basically that he can get a pass off because that offensive line was having him hit and hurried all day. And then my other takeaway is we've given a lot of praise to Hugh Freeze, but we also got to hit him when he makes stupid mistakes. And, the biggest problem that Ole Miss had was they didn't have any sort of pass rush against Memphis. Well, why, do you know why they didn't have a pass rush? That's what I'm getting to. Yeah. Why do you Why do you have Robert Kandichi playing running back? It makes no sense. It sucks that he got a concussion. I feel sorry for him, but coach, what are you doing? Come on. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know what they're trying to do. I know they want to get their best players on the field. Uh, especially in short yardage situations, but come on. I mean, he's by far your best pass rusher. You got to take care of him. 
um, especially in in, in in a game like this, you know, a game that's that's thoroughly important. You got to be careful. You, you gotta you gotta let him do what he does best, and that's rush the passer. And and it's it's got to be, you know, it's got to be no questions asked. They, you know, he, I mean, you, you saw some of the high, you saw some of the highlights after he got hurt. I mean, Paxton Lynch gets the snap, he's looking around, reads the field, does his taxes, calls his mom, pays a few bills, then he decides to chuck it, and it ends up being a touchdown. I mean, like he had all day back there. Yeah, no, and 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 that's you know that's just as much a credit to Memphis's offensive line for giving them protection. But you know you also got to look at you know Ole Miss's defense. Where are you? What are you doing? You know, Robert Kimdichie cannot be the only one that can rush this passer. We've got to have somebody else step up. You know that. You know all of that being said. All of that being said. Next guy up theory. Notre Dame proved that they can do it. It's possible. It, it, it's got to be a next guy up theory. It's got to be the next man up. He's got to have people ready to play. And the coaching staff didn't do a good job of preparing other people to be a, a dominant force in the pass rush. And, you know, Kandichi got hurt and they were lost. They looked lost. And Memphis treated them that way. Memphis obliged them. They wanted to be lost. They were lost. And, and so I, I don't know. It, it's got to be, you know, they got to have somebody step up in that situation. And and for for Ole Miss, my biggest takeaway is, come on, Ole Miss. I mean, I, I know Memphis is this great team and and things like that. I know you're on the road, and I know it's probably not the not the not the place where you wanted to be, and not the team you want to be playing against. But you know, you got to line up and beat whoever's in front of you. And if you're a top five team that you claim to be, if you're a team that just that beat Alabama a few weeks ago. That just ran the score up on, on that just runs the score up on people and can score from anywhere at any time and, and can score in bunches. You got to do that, and 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 you've got to and and then when you then when you take a punch, you got to be able to punch back. And it just didn't seem like that they could ever get that return punch in. And you know that's just as much credit to Memphis as it is uh, a, a slighted Ole Miss. But you know Ole Miss, you're in the SEC. You got to win this game. Uh, you know, on top of that, find a way. I think that you know, Ole Miss scored a touchdown on their first two drives. They're up fourteen nothing. I think that they're thinking, okay, you know, this is going to be easy. We're going to roll these dudes, and mm-hmm. I, I think they mentally, I think they started tuning out. Then I really, I really do. Um, they and- did. Uh, that's exactly what happened. They overlooked Memphis, and Memphis whipped their butt. Well, it's not even that. Is that, that you know after the you know after the first two drives, you know they're just like, oh, we got this. And guess what? You don't got this. And it was you know then Memphis goes to score thirty one straight points. In you know I, I, I think that you know if you're Ole Miss, you got to say you know we have way more talent than these guys. We just got to execute, and they didn't execute. They had to run into game and. You know, they, they drop from being, you know, from being a contender in, in, you know, the SEC West to now they're, you know, now, now they got to, they're going to be struggling, you know, going forward. They still got a bunch of, a bunch of tough games. And I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what to make of this Ole Miss team now. Um, I think that 
you know, defensive coordinator Dave Womack really needs to sort of assess what what, what they're doing on defense because it didn't look like he made any changes whatsoever when Kandichi went down. They didn't change, you know, um, the way they were using their fronts. They didn't bring any different kind of blitzes, no more exotic blitzes. They didn't change their coverage at all. And Paxton Lynch had all day to just pick apart the secondary. And yeah, I mean, you know, where's your pass rush? Well, you know, and, and, you know, I said that Paxton Lynch would throw his first two interceptions of the season in our preview for this. I was a little bit wrong. He only threw one. He did throw his first interception of the season. But he also threw for three – he also threw for three touchdowns and 384 yards. I mean, he was a beast out there. So, and – It's almost like he was throwing on air. Or it was almost like he was throwing against the scout team. He probably had – to be honest, at the, at the tail end of that game, he probably could look at the, you know, the scout team and say, hey, I had more of a, I had more of a challenge. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, any final thoughts on this game, Josh? Well, not really a thought on this game, but um, for people that think the SEC is overrated, and I don't think that. I think that they are not as deep as they once were, but I certainly wouldn't want to play Alabama, that's for damn sure. But uh, for, for, for people that don't like the SEC, here's a little teaser for our Thursday show. We just got done saying that LSU gave up a ton of yards through the air to a quarterback that hadn't played in a month for Florida. LSU hosts Western Kentucky, and we all know how good Brandon Dowdy is. That could be interesting. I'm curious to see if the Hilltoppers can can give the the old Mad Hatter a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be fun. Quite frankly, I think we might see Leonard Fournette rush for 350 yards. And uh, who's Western Kentucky's quarterback again, Josh? Miranda Dowdy. Uh, I think we might see him put up a 500 spot. So, well, he only he only has 2,700 yards and 24 touchdowns this year. Which, uh, oh wait, we're in week seven. Sorry, I thought those were end of year stats. No, that's uh, that's about 400 yards a game for you guys uh, doing the math at home. So, um, well, with that, um, we're gonna wrap up for the week. So, uh, thank you, Coach. Thank you, Josh. And uh, make sure to check us out. We've got a new Facebook page. You can find us uh, at Illegal Motion. Uh, just search for us on Facebook. As always, we've got Twitter. Uh, uh, we're at Illegal underscore Motion. And you can email the show at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com. So are, from, we on, are we on MySpace yet? Um, no, but uh, we are on GeoCity. Okay, perfect. Okay, yeah. Find us in Friendster, too. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, Coach, you're going to be in charge of, uh, of setting that up. So, um, Prince, heck, yeah. Okay. So, well, on the, for that, on behalf of the coach and Josh, I am Matt Perkins saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.